and welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, just one chapter at a time this week. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet from me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi, Brandon. Hey, Brandon. Good to see you as always this week. Yeah, you too. Yeah. What uh, what beverage is gracing your body and soul this evening? I've got a star. That's ambitious. Yeah. Yeah, that's the apple brandy and vermouth. Ooh. Ooh, that's interesting. Wait, and you've got a oh a circular ice cube in there, I see. It's just a a extra large cube cube. Oh, very good. Oh, cubic cube. Very good. Yep. Yep. How about you? I'm back to a Manhattan. It's the last of my bullet rye. So a deep evaluation of the matter is afoot. I must <laughs> choose what I'd like to what I'd like to pick up next time I go up to the store. Oh, the, yeah. the big questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're going to be hitting quite a few big questions and a few of your responses uh, this evening. We are talking this week about Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be covering, uh, what is it? One, two, three, four, five different things. First one is in verse 3b, where uh, the language of arrived victorious shows up. Uh, sorry, not 20, not 3b, good Lord. 24.3 with footnote b. Uh, second thing is going to be absence of Torah, uh, where it's usually lawlessness, and that's in 24.12. Third thing is news of victory instead of that big old word gospel. That's in 24.14 with footnote h. Fourth thing is pray that it might not happen, which is in 24.21 with footnote k. And then brightly shining grandeur instead of glory. That's another big word we're going to hit on this week, and that's in 2430 with footnote T. So as always, if you haven't had a chance to read Brandon's translation, we highly encourage you to give it a read. Uh, there's a link in the episode notes. You can there, there should be one for both the PDF as well as the Google Doc. So uh, yeah, don't don't miss those footnotes, at least for those verses we, we hit on. Go ahead and give it a read. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's jump into this. So verse three with footnote B, would you cue it up for us? We're looking at that language of uh, what arrived victorious, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is uh, referring to Jesus here. It says, then while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the students went to him privately and asked him, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of when time has run out for the way things are, and you have arrived victorious? And usually that is what, just like pretty traditionally, it's when you have come, when you've or at your coming, when you've gotten um, here. Yeah. So yeah, coming I think is in this spot specifically how it, it tends to be um, mm-hmm. the, the the sign of your coming. Uh, yeah. Yeah, which is there's just such it's it's hard to spend any time in Christianity without getting 
um, slapped about by this language of the second coming of Christ. And what is the sign of your coming? And yeah, yeah. So all of that language is it's tied up in this thing that's already kind of dubious. Like we'll hit on that once we get into some of the Pauline letters. Um, Mm -hmm. But because it's so tied into all of this awkward meaning of like the rapture and Jesus coming down on a cloud, like the silver surfer and sucking everybody up to space. The good, the good daddy. Like that's what the is hinted at here in the conventional reading because of the layers of tradition. Right. Which is, I don't think it's talking about that far out. Anyway, I think it's talking to just like a couple of chapters later in Matthew. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I want to know why, how did the word like, you know, to, to come, to arrive, um, get expanded into arrived victorious. That seems like embellishment. Coming is a little bit weird. Like it's not, it's not related to the word that's traditionally translated as come anyway. It's more like arrival Mm -hmm. um, would be a very just pretty straightforward translation of it. it. Better than coming. Sure. Um, but this word was used, there's a historical usage of when this word got used uh, that I'm trying to reflect here mm-hmm. with adding the word victorious to it. So, uh, you know, if you've read any N.T. Wright, this is probably not brand new news. Um, he talks about the historical context being when a military leader or a king or a general or somebody would have been gone at battle out, out to war and then come back with the army and then be arriving back to their city and the people go out to meet that, meet them and celebrate mm-hmm. their victory in war that this is the word that gets used for that. So that's what's in view here. Jesus having fought his battle, been victorious, and then is greeted by the people. Like that's his victorious arrival. Um, the, you know, in a very metaphorical way, he's not going out with swords. Um, but that's, yeah. that's the c- cultural context that's in view here. It's not just like, oh, my neighbor showed up at my door kind of arrival. Yeah. Yeah. Not his ETA. What's, what is your ETA, JC? Right. Yeah. Because, because the bigger context here is Jesus came in doing some sort of, sort of a counter victory a very deconstructively victory arrival into the capital city of his people that's occupied by Rome mm-hmm. town is Jerusalem. He comes in and does this scandalous thing with all this cool symbolism. Um, he's coming in from the opposite direction as where the Romans come into town and he's on a donkey, not a big ass horse. Uh, and they're singing Hosanna like, Hey, here comes the big deal. Um, here comes the king. And then like at the start of 20, uh, chapter 24 here, well, oh, I guess he goes out, he goes up to the temple and, you know, basically does this symbolic thing of saying, this thing is under judgment and it's going down mm-hmm. because of the Quotes toxic energy. Prophets. Yeah, yeah, he does. He, he drops some verses. And then here at the start of 24, Jesus says, hey, did you, did you see all this? Honestly, I'm telling you, there isn't a single stone that could be left stacked on one another without being demolished. Like, the whole temple's coming down, man. 
And so in all the context of all this lead up, of course, they're going to ask like, so how are we going to know when the victory is going to happen? Like, when are you going to go in and like kick ass? Mm -hmm. So it makes perfect sense. They're asking that not like, oh, so what are, what's going to be the sign of you like disappearing for an indeterminate amount of time that's turned out to be two millennia uh, and you'll come back. Like they're not asking a religious technical right. word from like dispensational yeah. American theology from like 1900. They're asking like, right. How do we know when you're going to kick ass? Right. Yeah. Cause otherwise it's like, when are you going to get here, Jesus? And he's looking at him like, what are you on? Yeah, that's like, a, I'm right. I'm standing right that's, here. It's a very yeah. Eastern question, man. Good for you. Yeah. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this arrived victorious, just capture it. It clicks into the context much better. And again, I feel like this is the sort of aside that so many of these things have to have is that's not to say that you have to not believe in the second coming in one manner or another. Um, like there is a depth of yeah. hope for the culmination of Christ's lordship on earth as in heaven. That is a deep and mysterious and broad strand in the tradition. Mm-hmm. It is just not what's happening here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Matthew really has nothing to say about uh, after death things or after the like what's going to happen in thousands of years, like after the world, whole world collapses, like yeah, that's just not what Matthew's about. Mm-hmm. And people trying to read future things into this book that's very much about what happened during Jesus' lifetime, yeah, is, is misusing it. It, it. It's it's not respecting the intent of what this book is about. Boy, and it does really add to a few verses later, four, five, and six. Like, watch out that nobody misleads you, answering their question like, hey, when are you going to be victorious? Watch out that nobody misleads you. Many will come saying they represent me, saying I'm the Messiah, which is to say I'm the chosen one. I'm the king, the the victorious king, mm-hmm. the, the, the in-person catalysts to... Um, get you guys out from under Rome's foot. Uh, And so they're going to come saying that and they're going to mislead everybody. You'll be expecting to hear battles and rumors of battles. See, don't be scared because it's inevitable for it to happen, but it isn't the end. It's not yet the end. Like Mm -hmm. when you hear those lines in the context of them, just asking, how do we know when you're going to kick all the ass? It totally flows. Right. Yep. Like that, no wonder he's talking about wars and rumors of war. He, or as you have it, um, battles and rumors of battles. Like he's not talking about, hey, near the end of the world, shit's going to get crazy and there'll be a lot of wars, which is one of those like convenient things like a psychic would say. Like I'm feeling <laughs> like, like a loving motherly presence. It's like, well, lottie da, that was a, courageous shot in the dark like mm-hmm. near the end of the world there's going to be wars <laughs> like, right have nobody's you never impre- seen any sci-fi movies yeah right nobody's <laughs> impressed nobody's <laughs> impressed uh but within this it's like oh yeah actually he's he's getting into it all right so that's the first one we wanted to hit on uh second one 
scrolling down to verse 12. Um, so it's, let me see, where's the beginning of the sentence? That's a more common question in Paul. <laughs> right. <laughs> so starting, starting in verse 10, then many will falter from the path and turn each other in and hate each other. And many fake prophets will show up and lead many people off the path. And because of the spread in the absence of Torah, many people's love will grow cold. So traditionally there, it's because of the spread or whatever the wording around it is. But instead of absence of Torah, it's because of the spread of lawlessness. Many people's love will grow cold. Um, which frankly feels like the opposite of everything that Jesus has been talking about in this whole, mm-hmm. whole book um, to translate it as lawlessness. I understand why people do. It's the word for like law and then not that. <laughs> so it's, but what, what I've been trying to do through my whole translation work is anytime where namas the Greek word for law shows up. It's talking about Torah. It's talking about the five first five books of the Bible, traditionally written by Moses. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it's talking about here. It's because people aren't paying attention to the wisdom, the teaching, the, the way of life that's trying to be shared and encouraged mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in those five books that's the people, the people's love will grow cold. Um, Not because people have stopped following the rules. (laughs) Right. Jesus has a lot to say about the people who insist on rule following and it's not positive. No, sir. No, sir. But he's still, if I'm understanding you correctly here, and particularly with regard to this verse, Jesus does still believe that the Torah is a important part of the life of his people. Like he's not anti-Torah at all. Like it's core. Yeah. Like chapter five, I'm not here to get rid of the Torah. Yeah. I'm here to tell you what it really meant the whole time and actually like live it out fully. So because of the spread of people falling, faltering from the path and being, caught up in all these fake prophets add to that the absence of torah people's love is going to grow cold yeah it's almost well, like torah was say the two greatest commandments of torah are love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself mm-hmm. in the traditional <laughs> right rendering yeah yeah and just the previous chapter is going off on the Pharisees and the Bible scholars and tells them, Hey, you're like giving a, a 10th of your herb garden as tithe yeah. because it's one of the like really obscure rules, but you're not doing the important things like, you know, loving people. Yeah. Mercy and justice and compassion, mm-hmm. but it's the absence of Torah amidst all of this other scary energy that helps people be consumed mm-hmm. by it. Like the Torah is there as a barrier. Like a, it's supposed to be there as a protective, like it's a pedagogue is what um, right. Paul calls it. Like this is an important prophylactic against, or like a bar- boundary against being swayed by bullshitters. 
Mm-hmm. Like it's not meant to make you like ethnically ethnocentric and superior. It's here to help you be protected from the bullshit at its best. Right. Yeah. It makes me start thinking about um, Samuel where if the people are doing the Torah thing and getting the blessings listed in Deuteronomy 28. Yeah. Then things are going to like, they're loving each other. They're taking care of the land. They're taking care of the poor. They're taking care of each other. They're, they're living in the way that makes it good for everyone. Everybody. There's no conflict. I mean, you know, disagreements, whatever, but, but in general, like there's not oppression happening. There's nothing to rise up against. Um, there's not a conquest to be had because there's peace between between everybody, even people who have differences. And what we see in Samuel, it's following the, the judges period, the book of judges, where people kept kind of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, we're going to do that stuff. Oh, and we're going to be like everybody else who hasn't been taught to do that. Uh-huh. And bad things happen. And then we go back to, oh yeah, we're going to be like really good about remembering that we should treat p- p- treat each other well. Yeah. Um, okay, 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 we got it, good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and you know what? Being selfish and greedy is easier, so we're just going to do that. Oh shoot, bad stuff happens when we do that. Okay, we're going to get <laughs> back to it. Uh, you know, and, and then finally, like in Samuel, they're like clearly bad things keep happening to us. We just can't figure out why. Give us a king who's going to like use power and force to protect us from all the bad guys because it's probably their fault. Mm-hmm. And then once he, once we have a king who's going to use military force to protect us from all the bad guys because we're the good guys and we should be protected, then everything is going to be good. And God's like, no, no. Samuel's like, dudes, that's not... That's not how this works. Okay. Yeah. You have to learn for yourself, apparently. All right. We'll give you the king. And he gets Saul. Touch the damn burner. Yeah. And then they get David who. Does some dark he, he, he things. Tri- he, he tries. He yeah, tries. He really does. Yeah. Um, but man, a lot of people died when he was king. And then he gets Solomon. We have gone on at length about how mm-hmm. terrible Solomon was. And then like every king after them, basically, it just keeps going. And I think that's what you can see here too, is like all of these things of this, like battles and temple being destroyed and people trying to kill people and suffering and people trying to gain power by claiming to speak for God when they don't. And man, like if you can hold on to the things that that God teaches in Torah, treat each other with dignity and love and respect and kindness, take care of the poor, take care of the widows and the orphans and the foreigners and take care of the land, take care of, yeah. Jubilee some stuff. Yeah. Everybody and everything. Well, and if everybody's doing that, that means you're getting treated well too. Like everybody, mm-hmm. like there's no fear. You don't have to be afraid that you're going to be the one person left out. Mm-hmm. Like, then if you do that, 
whoever can endure the, the, the hardship, like you're going to find Jubilee. You're going to be restored. Yeah, and that yeah. is the news of victory is getting to the next verse there. Like, but because like in the book of judges, people aren't reminding each other about Torah, about the things that are taught there. The love is growing cold and meaning they're forgetting that loving each other is important and they're not doing it. They're looking out for number one instead. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, this sense of the importance of Torah in the life of those, of that people was mm-hmm. so strong that there was this saying wherever um, two or three are gathered studying the Torah, there the Shekinah dwells w- with them. Mm-hmm. That sounds awful familiar, Brandon. I does. Yeah. Let the listener and readers understand. Um, the Shekinah being the sort of tabernacling homecoming. It's like the homecoming presence of the divine into the temple in particular. But like they were, they had this saying that was like, Hey, whenever like two or three folks are huddling around the Torah, that's a little temple. That's a little heaven and earth clicking together kind of there's a deep magic that keeps you warm from the bullshit and toxicity and ego and empire things. It's, it's an, it's a big deal. So it, I mean, even just that one little snapshot of how his contemporaries spoke of Torah, it makes good sense. It's like, Hey, when it it's, it's like he's saying, Hey, when it's getting colder, if you don't have, if you don't huddle around a fire, you get cold. <laughs> right. And the right. Torah was this, was this fiery presence to be huddled around. But mm-hmm. yeah, at, yeah, the next verse, but whoever endures to the end will be restored. And this news of victory for the rain will be announced throughout the whole empire to let all the peoples know of it. And then the end will come. This mm-hmm. is all to his, this is, that's, all as his like introduction to how he's responding to how do we know when you've kicked all the ass? Mm -hmm. And in that verse is this third thing we wanted to hit on with you all this evening news of victory. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the way most do it. You know, there's two ways that are typical, either gospel or good news, Um, good news for the rain, good news of the kingdom more traditionally will be announced throughout the whole empire or the whole world more traditionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's um, wrong with the gospel, man? Or what makes this better? Kind of, I guess it's a, it's a music genre. Gospel music is wonderful. Um, and that's not what we're talking about here. And that's the problem. Yeah. Gospel isn't a word outside of music and Bible. Um, Therefore, it doesn't belong in a translation of an ancient language. Yeah, I mean, it's it's carried on a, a presence in the life and reflection and prayers of the church. Um, in some theologies, even fairly different theologies, it is a power that has rippled through over the cosmos. Like the gospel is this like kind of powerful force that is alive in the world. And so they've built up some deep reflection grounded in a number of passages to, to come to that conclusion. 
but here you're saying, but what if it's not? <laughs> what what if there's other ways? What if we stop clicking it into this like technical term? Yeah. And even some of the nuance of what you're describing about the significance of it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't think all that has to be erased. No. Um no. the point isn't to completely undo any of the understanding that we have of what this is talking about mm-hmm. it's it's meant to expand and make it more accessible of of the full range of what this was and is talking yes. about yes yes um, so a lot of i grew up being taught that the word literally means good news which is how it's often translated and that's sort of true like most literally it's actually good message but hmm. similar to i don't think it's an accident that it's being used within the same conversation as the the coming the victorious arrival Mm -hmm. uh, that we talked about earlier because it's the same exact context that this word gets used in too it's so you've got your king coming back from a battle that they've won with the army coming back into the city and the people go out to meet them how do the people Mm -hmm. know that the king is coming because someone ran ahead and told him, we won. <laughs> King so-and-so is on his way back right now. Go out to meet him. They're like, this is what happened. It's awesome. Let's right. tell you all about it. That announcement was referred to as euangelion, was the good news, the good message, the, the news of victory. The, the battle has been won. The king is back. Let's go out to meet him. That's how that was used outside. Like that was not a word that was made up for the Bible. No, no. And it was those two go together narratively, very coherently. Yeah. You spike the touchdown and then you give the victory speech. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the response is to go out and meet the king, welcome him home. Mm-hmm. Right. Rush the field. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what this word is. Mm-hmm. at its core that's the context for this and jesus is saying this news that the battle has been won for the reign the reign yeah. of 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 god the reign the divine reign is going to be announced by the guy that runs ahead into the city to tell everyone to get get out there and greet the king mm-hmm. um, but the instead of a city it's the entire empire and instead of just the citizens of one city it's all peoples and because it's victory for all peoples it's the end like what battle is there left to fight like, the end <laughs> <Right>. will come <laughs> and that doesn't mean the end of the world we've been conditioned to read all of these phrases with a certain o- ominousness it's a word you can't right. say without sounding drunk um i believe it's ominosity ominous I'm an opacity, I think. I'm an acaciousness. Um, yeah, it's, it's it, spooky. It does break the Scrabble board. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. Once you start reading it within a different story, that's so often what has to happen here is you're right. Your intuitions are right. This doesn't feel good. 
reading these passages, reading certain passages as, you know, we've talked about this all um, received tradition, the received story is one of evacuation, right? Like the, the, the problem is that you broke rules and now God has to do something difficult and bad, but don't worry, this thing happened. So now you don't have to have this happen. And so something different happens after you die, but also we're still going to be a hard ass about rules. Like in, and somewhere in there gets added this story of, and the way the whole thing wraps up is a bit of a non sequitur. Jesus silver surfers down vacuums, everybody up shit gets blown up. And then we party in the clouds or maybe some, there's a few other ways that goes, but because that's the way that most American Christians or most American Protestants anyway, heard about this verse, or maybe their churches just avoided it entirely <laughs> because mm-hmm. the small subset of people who have such a, a kink for charts about it uh, and timelines just broke and ruined it. This is just saying, actually your, your intuition is right. These are, that's gross and bad. And that's not the nature of God. The nature of God isn't to just evacuate and blow up if the, na- if the nature of God is to become what God loves and redeem and heal and restore it through solidarity. That is the path of the divine. So we can reread these passages and see what happens to them. If we read them in a different story, not as mm-hmm. a part of the story of like escape and explosion, but approach contact and solidarity. Yeah. Which the like escape narrative didn't exist until like the last 150 years or so, but in America, <laughs> right. Uh, reading it instead of 1800s through present day American context, trying to read it weirdly in Jesus's own context, you get something else. And that makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's uh, traipse our way down to verse, what, 21. And that's got footnote K. And it actually kind of begins the same, a similar language in your translation shows up at the start of 20. So could you set this up for us? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 20 starts with, Pray that the time for your escape doesn't come in winter or on Shabbat, because then there will be widespread suffering, the likes of which hasn't happened since the beginning of the world until now. So pray that it might never happen. How is that usually? Like that just reads reasonably to me, but. It, right. <laughs> this is one that like. Shit's going to get dark. Me a little pray bit. that it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. Um this is one that baffles me a little bit. I'm not really sure why mm-hmm. um, others don't do it the same way. So I'm going to read some examples of other translations that all say it was slightly different wording, kind of the same thing. And it's not this. And I'm going to tell you why. an amateur like me (laughs) might have one up on all these professional translator committees. Um, Bear with me. Feel free to shut me down at the end. Um, How will we know when the end has come? I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, thank you. 
you know, the love will go cold. But so the New English translation, instead of pray that it might never happen, just says, or will ever happen. So lots of suffering from the beginning of the world till now, worse than that, or that ever will be. Uh, NIV says, and never will be equaled again. New American Standard Bible, nor ever will. English Standard Version, and never will be. Um, NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, and never will be. King James, nor ever shall be. Um, so I get why the there's not the pray that in there, because that's not there. You know, full disclosure, I reinserted the words pray that here. And it's because there's no verb. Um, there's no, like, well, the, it's missing something. Mm-hmm. It needs to be, it's, it's assuming that you know that this is a continuation of verse 20. Pray that the time for your escape doesn't come in winter or on Shabbat because da, 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 da. So pray that it might never happen is implied in the Greek it's, it's not explicit. It needs to be explicit in English. Otherwise, that's really confusing. It's just too much information in between uh, mm-hmm. for a, a standard English speaker to keep, keep that in mind. But English, as we'll see when we get to like Paul's books, does a, the Greek does a lot of like, hold these words in mind for like, three minutes while I go on this long tangent or series of tangents and then come back to it without giving you a clue that I'm actually doing it coming back now to the original thought. Um, that's kind of what's happening here just to a lesser degree. Okay. The verb for happen here is the really, really important clue. All of those other translations that I read were in English in what's called the indicative form, which is, the most the most commonly used form of a verb in in any language it's the one that's just kind of like describing something as as it is like he is running i am eating uh you will mow the lawn mow there like all the things that are just kind of like normal action kind of it's usually how we use verbs mm-hmm. um it's kind of like a statement of asserted fact anyway it doesn't necessarily have to be true for it to fit this form but we're saying it as if it is true sure there are other moods is what it's called um of verbs Uh, one of those moods is mandative like a command form another one is called subjunctive and that's what we have here Hmm. subjunctives are used when there is a sense of uh, a potential, a sense of conditional quality. Um, it's a, a desired outcome, maybe. So we do that in English saying, if you were to give me $20, I could give you a ride to the airport. The, the were to give is how we communicate the subjunctive quality yeah. in, in, the, in the English. And the if is a good clue, but the were is, is specifically the subjunctive form that we're using in English. 
that's the form that's here. There's a there's a conditional quality to the statement, not a never will be again absolute statement yeah, like sure. every other translation does. Um, and it's baffling to me why why every single other translation is ignoring what the Greek is here and doing something else. It, it makes me wonder if there's an agenda of some sort that they're trying to protect, like the, if we need it this way to, to be the, the theological standpoint that we're trying to get at. And I, I, I don't know, um, but it's definitely subjunctive. There's really no question about that. So what that led me to do is connect it with the pray that from the previous verse, the beginning of the sentence and say, yeah, you started the pray for this. Oh yeah, I kind of got distracted a little bit about the results of the prayer. And oh yeah, coming back to the pray that it doesn't happen. Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's really what it is. That's- and the shift then, like the payload of that is that, well, I guess to go back to the parallel here of like the, the received story is this is Jesus being asked about the temple and he's like, actually, I'm going to ramble in all these ways about the end of the world. Mm-hmm. So Weird. it makes ver- versus him actually responding to them. He's doing it with some poetry and kind of literary voice, but he is actually responding to them <laughs> coherently. And so the difference between your, how you translated it here and literally all of the rest of them that you could find is the difference between the, if if you think of this as him talking about the end of the world or the lead up to his return about which is something he hasn't otherwise hinted at, which is weird. Um, it makes sense that you would want to like round up like we're going to round this one up like it's he's talking about something like bad. It's the worst. There's nothing like this that's it's ever the happened. climax hope it right. hope it never ever friggin happens never ever 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 right but and, not the hope because it's it never will happen worse than this one right here is what most translation are, are saying this is wow. going to be the absolute worst mm-hmm. for sure for sure yeah and you know most most circles they get really uh hot and happy about the end of the world um Got the Left Behind series. Yeah, yeah. Well, frankly, and, if you're hot and yeah. heavy for, for the um, end of the world, you might be a supervillain. Um, also that. <laughs> or a coal industry lobbyist. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it just follows that that's what they'd want, be wanting to do. But if it's actually... Yeah. A- no, that, that clarifies for me what I was kind of like thinking. It must be something like this, but I, but I haven't quite put my finger on it yet. I think that's it because they're assuming that this is talking about the end of the world when Jesus comes back after having been you know, resurrected and then gone to be with the father, been absent for a long time. The Holy spirit is here. The church does its thing. And then Jesus comes back after a really long time, 2000 years now mm-hmm. in like to fix all this incredible turmoil that is so bad that it's never been that bad before if that's the story here, why would we pray that that doesn't happen? We want Jesus to come. Mm-hmm. So of course they're not going to translate that as a pray that that doesn't happen because that doesn't make sense. Even if that's what the Greek word seems like it's saying, that makes no sense. We can't translate it that way. It's nonsense. Yes. 
But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the same thing he's been talking about through the entire book, all the way back to chapter five. Warning, keep Deuteronomy 28 in mind, guys. Like, if you keep living this way, if you keep disregarding Torah and letting your love be cold. Yes. Then you're going to be experience the same exact things that our ancestors experienced in the book of Judges. You're going to experience the same exact things that our ancestors experienced in the books of Samuel and Kings leading all the way up to when the Babylonians invaded, destroyed the temple and carted us off into slavery and other countries. That's what you're inviting. If you keep refusing to live the way God is teaching us to live with each other. That's what he's been talking about all the way since chapter five with references to the Valley of Hinnom and all these things. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, just like in Jonah, oh, when yeah. Jonah went to preach Very- to Nineveh, Come on. your destruction has come. You have been living right. terribly and killing people and doing all this awful stuff. Yep. Judgment's coming. Prepare for it. Time, your time's up. And they transformed their minds and realigned themselves with, I don't know if they had copies of Torah directly, but the things that God had been teaching, um, instructing them, which is what Torah literally means. Mm-hmm. And... God said, good enough for me. That was my goal the whole time. I'm not going to bring destruction. Like, you're great. And and Jonah was pissed about it because he was one of the ones that was like, I want you to be a rule follower. And, you know, punishment is what makes me happy, apparently. Um, no, I mean, it, it makes sense in the context. It was the people they've been violent to and killing was his people. But for someone who's supposed to be speaking on God's behalf as a prophet, he didn't seem to get it. If he's actually calling them to like turn their minds and hearts and lives, Mm -hmm. like stop being such Imperial shitheads. Like if they dial back the Imperial dipshittery, like prayer answered, you Mm -hmm. should be, you know, thanks and praise. Right. If he's actually getting Torah, which Jesus says greatest commandments, love God, love each other. Mm-hmm. He should be loving even the Syrian Ninevites. Yeah. Yeah. And if they stop murdering people, they're people. And wanting them dead is not appropriate for someone who's following Torah. Yeah. If you stop living violently, you will be less fated to die violently as individuals and more accurately as a people, as a community, you will move the needle, the corporate needle away from death, Assyria. Mm-hmm. You will move the needle away from death, Jerusalem. Uh, that's what he's talking about here. Jesus is saying, look, if you guys don't turn away, you're going to keep stumbling on the path and it's going to get violent and bad and brutal um there are not from me but because you guys keep doing violence and brutality to each other because Mm -hmm. you're not on the path yeah not because 
God is like, okay, time is up. I've known this moment since the foundation of the world and it's time for me to kick some ass and it's going to be indiscriminate in everybody's. <laughs> and that's just part of how God wants to wrap things up is through just a blaze of violence. It's Jesus saying, you're going down the bad way, man. Like not you're going to hell, but you're bringing hell into your reality. You will suffer. You, you all will suffer a fate of torment and loss. You will suffer a fate of you. You are putting your future. You are putting your child into the flames Mm -hmm. for a God. And it's not going to do shit for you. You are putting your kids into the flames of war against Rome or of like a false form of Torah purity that is sacrificing your children that are born intersex women um, with develop leprosy are blind, are mute, are crippled, mm-hmm. whatever it is. You're putting all these people into the fire, but it doesn't have to go that way. This is the thing Jesus is arguing for his people is I'm bringing a renewal and a new chapter in our life together. But right now I'm, I'm responding to how dark shit's going to get as I mixed in with how I move that whole thing forward. Mm-hmm. You're creating a world where violence and exclusion are the norm. Yes. At some point, you're going to be on the receiving end of that. Stop it now before that happens and start (laughs) creating a world where everyone loves each other and takes care of each other and includes each other so that you'll be on the receiving end of that Mm -hmm. as that begins to spread throughout the world. Which really gets us up to this final piece we want to explore today with you which is uh, brightly shining grandeur in verse 30 with footnote T. But I'm wondering if you can rewind back to maybe verse 29 or so, wherever you see fit. Yeah. All right. It says, starting in 29, then immediately after the suffering of that time, which is, you know, when the, the hellish world comes and bites them in the ass, um, Then immediately after the suffering of that time, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give her light and the stars will fall from the sky and the highest powers will be shaken. And then the son of humanity will be seen in the sky as a signal. Then all the tribes of the land will mourn and they will see the son of humanity approaching in the clouds of the sky with power and brightly shining grandeur. He will send his messengers with a loud trumpet and they will gather together his appointed people from the four winds from horizon to horizon. I don't know, man. Isn't that about the end of the world? Sounds like the beginning of a world to me. Come on. Yeah. So that word glory there, I guess I acknowledge the, the actual word in question here um, going from glory to brightly shining grandeur, but I'm wondering if you can just help us, transition from what we were talking about to like what's all this setup even about like what is the place within which this brightly shining grandeur emerges Mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's there's a lot of images in quick succession here in these couple of verses um 
one of the things during my research to translate this that I discovered was that uh, moon and, and sun and stars were all symbols for people at the time with the most power. Um, so star the way we use stars now to mean celebrities um, is weirdly appropriate. Uh, that we, people have been using stars to mean the the most known and powerful people in society apparently yeah. for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and sun was often a, a, was at this time a reference to the emperor. And there's even biblical references back to Joseph in Genesis, where he has a dream where the sun and the moon and the stars bow to him in the dream. Um, and it's referring to his family members, the, the, um. the patriarchs of the people of Israel. Um, there's this sense of the sun will be darkened. It's, Jesus is not talking about an eclipse here. He's talking about the power of the emperor will be eclipsed. Uh huh. He's talking about, I don't know who the moon was referring to explicitly. Maybe the emperor's wife, maybe someone else was power. I don't know. Um, when like ever, like also, these things were all Greek gods. The word for sun <laughs> here is Apollos. Uh, you know, the these these are gods and goddesses, um, are gonna have their influence. The power authorizing energies of the cosmos are going to go all tohu vohu here. Mm -hmm. The influence over the way people see the world around them is going to be taken away. And instead, we're going to see it in the light of Christ. Yeah. The vindication Mm -hmm. of the son of humanity that was that did battle with and appears to have been slain in that battle with in Daniel seven mm-hmm. and um, uh, is, is referred to in, in yeah. earlier in this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Like who then, you know, ascends into the presence of the Holy one and is given a kingdom and a power and a glory as, as it goes in Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then, so that son of humanity in the sky is, a, after the the collapse of monstrous powers, like, yeah, it's different monstrous powers. He's just localizing, he's contextualizing it here to be code language for famous pricks. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and saying, and that's that's the revealing. That's the that's part of the triumph. Mm-hmm. Is the exposure of the fools even amidst the paradox of the son of humanity's the son of humanity's vindication apart from their his death right and part of that vindication is and this is not a new idea this is throughout scripture is that the vindication of jesus as the referring to himself here as the son of humanity will be seen in the sky as a signal when do we see jesus physically lifted up high is on the cross. That's yeah. the signal. We're not talking about like floating like thousands of feet up in the air because we're not talking about the physical, literal like atmosphere. Like, just like we're not talking about the physical sun, like the, the ball of hydrogen that's fusing into helium. Mm-hmm. 
at the center of the solar system. It, we're talking about the emperor, you know, that, that system where that's the most important person is being overturned. The one who uses power to promote the Pax Romana where peace throughout the empire is achieved at the end of a sword. Yeah. Peace being used in a way that has nothing to do with the biblical concept of shalom where it's actually like goodness and wellness and completeness and wholeness for all creation yeah, is shalom yeah. pax romana in the roman empire was lack of conflict because everybody has been forced by violence to be compliant to the emperor <laughs> oh so yeah, sure. Peace, I guess. Um, a very different kind of peace. But instead, Jesus triumphs over that through self-sacrifice, through embracing death for the sake of others. And then all the tribes of the land will mourn. And then they will see him approaching in the clouds of the sky with power and brightly shining grandeur. Reference like you hinted at to Daniel. And I mean, and, the, the, yeah. the, the theme, the Im- this image of the slain but vindicated, meek character unveiling God's triumph over the asshats and dum-dums. Like that's also a picture in the, f- I'm standing by the Brandon Rhodes translation here. Uh-huh. Um, that's also one of the opening images in this amazingly crazy final book that's almost always put at the very end of the Christian canon, the Christian library revelation where in um, was it chapter five, like there's this scroll and it's like the meaning of everything is bound up in this scroll. Like everything that's been going on, the meaning of God, even approaching humanity to begin with, it's all bound up in this one thing. Who can open it? No one can. People are falling and trembling. Who can make sense of it all? And it's a slain lamb who comes forward. Mm-hmm. The meaning of reality and where, where history is going. The skeleton key to it all is the skeleton of this slain but risen. Mm-hmm. Lamb. Of, uh, Hebrews and yeah. God spoke in many times in various ways, and now he's spoken through a son. Yes. Yes. Like it's it's a Daniel thing, it's a Matthew 24 thing, it's a um Hebrews thing, it's a Revelation 5 thing. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Uh-huh. And here we have the son of humanity approaching in the clouds of the sky with power and brightly shining grandeur. Glory seems like it could be benign there, <laughs> but it, this this could. is more evocative. This, this is like bending the note to make sure you're hearing clearly this, this end of what that word doxa can mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, glory is one of those words that is probably more benign as far as religious technical terms go. And then several other ones that we've touched on, except let the hear understand there are certain groups that are all about 
doing everything for the glory of God. The purpose of everything is the glory of God. And they have a very specific and conveniently vague uh, meaning for that, that can just kind of be bent to whatever they want. And it becomes a power play word. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to avoid here is just like any association with that usage of it. Yeah. Well, and um, they, yeah, they, they use it in a way that really gets at like God's glory is God's kind of Zeusiness, God's ability to annihilate, okay, yeah. beat and torment. It, like if God doesn't beat the shit out of everything, then it's, it's a threat to God's glory. They would say, so yeah, mm-hmm. they've, as, as that, with so many things, they've broken a really lovely image. Right. And, and they also often connect it with like the way to live to God's glory is to be a rule follower. So it, it's. Yeah. And, and God like to glorify. It's really give, complicated. Give glory to God. Glorify God. We, you know, the chief end of humanity is to, uh, or at least for their, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him yeah. forever. Chief end of man is to glorify God. Chief, chief end of woman is to glorify man, perhaps. That's exactly what they would think. Oh, sweet Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like the chief end of man is to like fist bump God. And it's like, well, kind of. It's it, insofar as like the glory of God is a human fully alive, as one of the like doctors of the church said. I think they're a doctor of the church. Um an old wise character said like the glory of human of God is humanity fully alive. It's not God's perpetual ego stroking. The cross Mm. is the final repudiation of the final arc of the universe is fist bumping is God's ego needing to be stroked. Instead. It's again, that movement towards solidarity. The glory of God is revealed here as you hinted at in um, was it Matthew 26 or or john um being raised up jesus being raised up to the sky the glory of god being revealed the glory of god being revealed is revealed on the cross counted among the trespassers and deconstructing and dismantling all the false stories we tell about ourselves to justify our ego fear and exclusion right yeah that's the glory of god that is some brightly shining grandeur (laughs) right and that's one way that i've translated it It, you know i've translated it a whole bunch of different ways at this point trying to flex it to fit the context but like Mm -hmm. bright presence is i think i think in chapter 16 that we've already passed actually is i think did something about that's uh, right presence was a word that i used in that um and i've done it as something like high esteem and uh, good reputation. I don't think I use the word good, but that's the idea is like a high positive reputation. Mm-hmm. Use the reputation in some of my other translation of different passages. Because um, that's really what it means is it's, uh, I think later in the next chapter, I, I do it as for all to see um, rather than in glory. Because the idea is this sense of being present being visible, being seen in a really positive and impressive way in that we see your value. We see 
what your worth is here that that what the sun and moon and stars were projecting mm. has nothing on on what we see when we look your way mm. and it's something that is intentionally very public very visible very present um that's what this word is trying to get at and 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 trying to enunciate like the specific way to use that in this sentence as i'm translating is is you know can show up in different ways but that's that's the point here is that it's this is something worth seeing this is something that is attention grabbing in a really positive way yes and you mentioned um, the word Shekinah actually near the beginning of this episode, um, which is often connected with glory, the presence, the, the light and glorious presence of God in the temple. Um, that's what it's talking about. Um, yep. Come on. And if all of creation is a temple, then this is truly the Shekinah arriving in the cosmos mm. or at least us apprehending it but maybe in there it's been there for a long time <laughs> right well that's a great note to end on um thank you for that we are as always listeners thankful for your company for this leg of the journey the easiest way to support found in translation is to leave us a rating or a review in your podcast player of choice that makes it easier for more people to find the show and know that it's as good as you found it to be. Second best way to support the show is to become a sponsor for just five bucks a month. When you do that, you'll get comment access on the translations of Google Doc and the satisfaction that you're supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. You can find the link to join the community in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on Chinook Land. Goodbye, Brandon. Bye, Brandon. Bye, everybody.